Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is episode 21 of The Josh Marshall Show. Today we are talking to David Frum, uh, a senior editor at The Atlantic uh, magazine, Atlantic Monthly, and he also has a new book uh, coming out at the in the early 2018 called Trumpocracy, which is about Donald Trump, a major topic that we are going to be talking about today. Uh, David and I have uh, known each other for uh, many years now and have been on uh, many often opposite sides of public debates. Uh, in recent years, as, as many of you probably know, he's been, I guess what we would call a, a sort of a dissident within uh, conservatism or the Republican Party and often has found himself in at least momentary agreement with people, uh, Democrats, with uh, liberals, and so on and so forth. Uh, David is very much uh, conservative, but a conservative in a way that has been uh, has been a little out of step, at least, with uh, many things that have happened within American conservatism over the last decade, during the Obama era, and particularly during the Trump era. Uh, David is a a very pointed and across the board a critic of Donald Trump. And that's one of the issues that we are going to talk about today. One point uh, that I will uh, make is we are recording this episode a week to 10 days before it will probably air. So uh, keep in mind that we are a little in the past in terms of breaking news. So possibly if there's <laughs> whatever whatever major Trump stories or bombshells or uh, if it turns out that, that by the time this episode runs that we find out that uh, – uh, Don Jr. is actually a, a, a Russian spy or something like that. David and I don't know that. So keep that in mind as, as you listen to us discuss Trump and Russia and a number of issues. So without any further ado, let's talk to David Frump. Hi, David. Hey there. How are you doing today? Um, all right, thank you. Um, as a, uh, we're speaking, I, I assume, not on the day that we're actually going to broadcast, but on a, it's, um, it's a beautiful sunny day here on the north shore of Lake Ontario. So oh, beautiful, wonderful. beautiful. Well, yeah, as, as, as you just said, and for our readers, we are, um, we are coming to you from around 10 days in the past. So it's possible that if there is, that if you are reacting to some big, Trump bombshell or new outrage or whatever. We don't know about it yet. So we are going to speak a little more generally since we are uh, not on top of the news today. And as, as, our, our, as our listeners and our readers know, David, you are a, a prominent Trump critic. And how, how do you describe yourself today in the context of conservatism and the Republican Party. Are you a dissident? Or are you, where, where, how do you see yourself? William F. Buckley, years and years ago, um, in an interview, said that he, one, he saw his role at that time as maintaining a landing strip in the jungle and keeping it clear for when the planes started to fly in and when they did <laughs> coffee and Coke would, would be on the house. So, Got it. Got it. Um, when, when, uh, I, I'm, you know, obviously, I've been, uh, for the past decade or so, uh, you know, not exactly... 
um, in line with a lot of the thinking in the Republican world. You tend me to say something right-wing, uh, just to reaffirm my, my credentials. I, I tend to, so when, for self-description, it's not that it's so interesting to anybody else. I've stopped using the noun a conservative because so many people who are conservative object and because I think so many of them are behaving so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, I do consider myself, um, I'm a registered Republican. Um, I live in the District of Columbia, so I don't have a lot of downstate down-ballot choices. Uh, if I right. lived in a, a state, I'm sure I would be voting for Republican candidates for governor and state senate and state assembly. Right. Um, and, uh, and I do consider myself conservative in the adjectival sense. I, I'm a very conservative person, and I, that's one of the things that leads me um, to some of my feelings about Donald Trump, because I, I tend to think, and maybe this is coming from Canada, both physically and at the moment, actually, literally, I think Americans tend to underestimate the importance of political stability and the risks to stability in their own society. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, I see my. I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, liberal, center left, whatever, uh, sort of where I am on the ideological spectrum. But I see myself as, and I see this as, in 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 some ways, a something that I like and I'm, and I'm proud of and I think is a good thing. In other ways, I think it's, it has, it has, um, it has been blinders that have, that, that has led me to miss certain things. But I think I am temperamentally fairly conservative precisely because of what you're saying, because um, what we have is not the natural state of things. Things can get much, much worse. I always think in terms of preserving the things that we have, even if they're not ideal, which is, I think, uh, sort of inherent to conservatism, both in a sort of a small, you know, in, in each in each sense of 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 the term. I mean, I, I certainly thought about this a lot, well, during the campaign and everything that's happened since, but, you know, with NATO and all these kind of things. But anyway, what should we make? Why? Why is it that Trump took over the Republican Party? I mean, to put it very simply, Typical rank-and-file member of the Republican Party in 2015, 2016, wanted more health care, less immigration, and no more Bushes. And what the party offered, I mean, almost unanimously, that was the point of view of almost every single candidate on the uh, stage, although some changed toward, uh, as the Trump challenge grew hotter, the party leaders offered was less health care, more immigration, and one more Bush. Um, there was this giant mismatch between where the donor of the party was um, and where the membership was. This was something that should have been obvious to anybody who actually spent time near or at Tea Party rallies. But the Tea Party was early on, and, and listened to what people were actually talking about. But the Tea Party was early on captured by professional organizers who did them some good, who, who did things like that. Um, you know, by the way, uh, if anyone here is thinking of uh, carrying um, firearms in the presence of the president, that's, that's not a good idea. We're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> so a certain amount of, of professionalization was, was welcome. Uh, you know, make sure the, the right. signs uh, are legible. Um, that's, that's always welcome. But they also created an impression of what the Tea Party was about um, that was false. And the party leadership not only successfully duped, say, um, the editors of the New York Times Magazine who wrote then that famous piece, The Libertarian Moment, that never happened, but they actually ended up duping themselves mm-hmm into thinking that, that these people who are rallying to defend Medicare from the kind of downward redistribution that was that characterized the Affordable Care Act, these people rallying in defense of Medicare were really seeking giant entitlement cuts to fund giant tax cuts. Right. Right. So isn't 
here, let me let me let me give you my my take on this, which is from my you know from my point of view and my prejudices and all that kind of stuff. Um, Trump does not seem that out of place for the Republican Party that had come that came to exist during the Obama era. Um, and and I know in some sense that's what you're saying with the Tea Party and and everything that happened with the Tea Party and stuff. But the the focus on uh, immigration, the focus on kind of, you know, at, at the most generous, heavily raced opposition to President Obama, you know, resistance to, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, all, all these kind of things, you know, th- that that to me makes sense. That, that Trump, I didn't think he'd win the election, but I thought he'd win the primaries. So am I wrong there? Am I, is, am I just taking, is that, a, is that a, a skewed view of the Republican Party or the conservative movement? You know, I, I, I come from a long line of retailers, and so I didn't, don't tend to question customer choice that much. Uh, those things were all present. The, the goal and task and mission of political leadership is to uh, understand, to um, uh, the actually quite formless, um, non-ideological, non-programmatic messages you're getting from your potential, your actual and potential supporters, and to build that into something that can reach beyond your core voters to, to a broad national coalition, and that can actually then be put into effect in a way that yields positive results, and not just in the immediate electoral sense, but for the sense of the society. So yeah, it's true across the developed world. Um, there is... Uh, um, there has been this slowdown of economic growth uh, since the year 2000. There's been economic crisis in both you know, Western Europe and the United States, all over Europe, since 2008. Um, there is a great resentment of rising levels of mass migration. There is um, a feeling of older stock populations being displaced um, in, under conditions of economic These things are all there. So the, um, these concerns were, were present in the Republican base. They're present in um, the more conservative half of the political spectrum across the developed world a more normal political figure could have stepped in and offered a constructive response to those kinds of concerns. That's what failed to happen in 2015 and 2016, and Trump profited from it. So do you, you know, obviously, you know, we could have had a different, uh, in many ways, we could have a a different result and, you know, Hillary Clinton could be president, in which case, you know, the whole, the whole... Thing would be different. That but, could easily have happened too, of course. Right, and and um, so I guess here's here's the question: Is there was there a structural failure in the Republican Party, you know, uh, conservative movement as it existed in the Obama era that led to this, as opposed to you know, kind of Trump being a black swan, you know, thing, and who know it just happened. Look, it, um, there are all kinds of structural problems, both in American politics generally and in the Republican Party in particular and the conservative world that led to them. For example, there's a, a defect in the way political parties work. Um, somebody should have been able to call together um, the Scott Walker and Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio into a room and say, 
I don't care which one of you comes out as the head of the ticket and which one comes out as vice president and which one comes out as secretary of state, but that's what's going to happen here. And that's how it would have worked in American politics a generation ago. The party doesn't have the ability to coordinate and to pull together um, its responsible forces. It's also an ability to, an inability to make deals across party lines. I mean, look what happened in France. Um, right. That when Marie Le Pen, Marine Le Pen got the... Um, emerged as one of the two contenders in the French um, presidential runoff, uh, the other parties were able to strike a deal where Macron became um, the, lead, the leader of a much broader coalition than he started with. And I assume that what happened was somebody went into a room and said, um, you, know, you know, we the Gaullists, Mr. Macron, say, here are two things we need and two things that must not happen. And if you will agree to those two things we need and two things that must not happen, and oh, by the way, we've got a list of appointments here that we'd like you to consider, um, then we will be able to work with you against an anti-Republican right. force. And right. that can happen. I mean, in France, there's the advantage that you don't vote for president and for the legislature on the same day. So that makes that kind of deal-making easier than it would be in the United States. Right. But it's not inconceivable right. Right. that something like that could have happened in the United States, too. Well, it's funny. One, I mean, when I – and again, I, I – I, I take some pride in, in in thinking that he would win the primaries, but I certainly didn't think he would he would become president. And as I re- sort of reflected on this over time afterwards, and kind of you know, all right, what did I what did I miss? I mean, this is obvious in a way, but it seems to me it is the ultimate uh, example of partisan political polarization that. As soon as I mean, certainly, and I think this is what probably most people who are were familiar with American politics thought that sure he can win the primaries, but his kind of crazy racist stuff is going to you know it's going to gain him people on the far right, it's going to lose him people in the center, he'll lose. But in fact, what happened is that as soon as he became the Republican, that was enough, and he was able to bring in a lot of people who, you know, kind of should have known better, but he was the Republican, Hillary was the Democrat, and that was enough. Um, and that's something that plays, a, you know, Let me point to one other thing big, now that's very yeah. easy to forget, about, now that we're so deep, we're you know, more than halfway through 2017, and we know a lot about the kind of president he is. Uh, for a lot of people, the name Trump meant competence. I mean, they seen it yeah. every night or every week on their TV screens, the, that he was shown to them as the most capable executive of America. And not only that, not only that, and this is the thing I think that does deserve some attention and even some respect, his trademark phrase, you're fired. So we have been, we went through 9-11, disaster. Was anybody fired? No, nobody was fired. Iraq war, you know, uh, didn't go so well. Uh, were people held to account? People were not held to account. Uh, Housing crisis and debacle. Was anybody, anybody held to, held, held to, some very minor people were, but even, I mean, the worst actors got clean away with it. And many of them ended up very rich. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. Slow growth after the, um, in the recovery. People expected deep recession, there'll be a rapid recovery. There wasn't. Um, even the failure of, health, you know, the healthcare.gov or whatever the website was called. Was right. anybody fired? Right. Nobody is ever fired. And at that moment, this man says, I'm good at stuff. I'm a builder. I'm a deal maker. And one more thing, I hold people to account, and I hold fancy people to account. Uh, Those those, those are the people you see on my show. Those are not, you know, they're not there in overalls. They're there in suit and tie and high heels. And when they fail, they get fired. Right. You see why that would be attractive in 2016. 
Yeah, I hadn't I, I hadn't quite thought about it in the, in those terms, but you're right. There is that. I mean, and, and it's a little hard to 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 step back when you think about. I mean, not only is there no accountability in the Trump universe, but he literally can't even fire people, right? Even <laughs> even in the most basic. You sense. live in you live does, in New York. You, you do business yeah, there. You knew he, he. You already knew in 2015 that he was kind of a doofus and a crook. Um, yes, but, yes. And you don't get your information about the American business world from network weekly television. But there are, there are a lot of people <laughs> with no reason to know what you know. And, and, uh, it, there, and there was a gigantic industrial effort a decade earlier to dupe them. So why, you know, why are they to blame for being duped? Yeah, no, I, 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 I hear you. All right, so let's talk about, and this is something where I think even, even possibly while we've been talking, there's been some minor new news what is, you know, we don't know factually what is going to come out with this whole sprawling Russia investigation. But how should we, big picture, how should we understand what is going on here and whether, why, how much it matters? Well, I, I think it matters enormously. It's, it has had a huge influence on my thinking. Um, here's something I would recommend. Um, there is a tendency in post-Watergate politics, to legalize every problem. And uh, to whenever you, when you, whenever you have a challenge, you begin to ask, who here has broken the law? Which laws have they broken? What, penal, what legal jeopardy do they face? And cable TV then mm-hmm. filled up with, with lawyers arguing there is a crime and there isn't a crime. Uh, right, right. About, about eight weeks ago, I did an exercise where you know, I, I made up a series of things that are likely to have happened. Or that could you know, plausibly could have happened. I went to a, a lot of people right. who worked at senior levels of government, and I, said, I sketched it out, and I said, if these things are true, you know, uh, leaving aside possible technical violations of the election laws, any crime. And the consensus of most of the people I talked to was, if an American politician covertly and clandestinely worked with a foreign intelligence agency to get information to do down a political opponent, that was probably not illegal. Nobody ever thought to. I mean, there, there were there were laws you might trip over along the way, but the core right. of, of what may have happened would not be a crime, because no one imagined that anybody would be low enough to do such a thing. And anyway, it's paradigmatically and paramountly a political offense, and they thought that the electorate would react to it. So um, I, I've always I was nervous about the whole special counsel approach. Um, I I always mm-hmm. thought that an independent commission, if you could arrange it, would be better because it was quite possible that you were going to come across conceivably the, the I mean the biggest scandal since 1865 and discover that no important crime was broken by any principle no important law right. was broken by any principle right. no crime was committed yep. by any important yep. principle I, I still, that looks a little less likely today and certainly as you you know go into um, upstream into Trump's finances I'm sure you'll find all kinds of right. infractions right right but right I'm, core of the Trump-Russia exchange, it is very possible that everything can be as dark as one might imagine, and yet no law was broken by Donald Trump or even his immediate family. Yeah, no, I, I've thought the same thing. And there there are, and this is, this is why I think impeachment is important, not, you know, that we impeach Trump, although I think that would be a, a great service to the republic that the founders created the impeachment structure in in a it's not extra legal it is not it is inherently and intentionally a political process um for good reason that the most 
the greatest dangers to the republic may not come from statutory infractions. Um, and I'll say I'll say another thing about about the commission, and I, I agree with you completely on that. But there's another there's another layer of it too, and that is that in many respects, you know, whether Don Jr. serves time or even whether Trump does is much less important than understanding what happened. And that is what a commission in its nature does. Uh, that again, knowledge, having everybody understand what happened is just much more important than, than certainly than like Paul Manafort going to prison because he was laundering money, you know, not for any political purpose, just to get rich. You're listening to the free public version of the Josh Marshall Show. To hear the entirety of this episode and every episode of the Josh Marshall Show, visit TalkingPointsMemo.com and subscribe to TPM Prime.